So most of us here know Sean, but for those who may not or be visiting or whatever, I've known Sean for about 25 years now, and uh, I'll just tell you that he is a faithful servant of the Lord, and um, he's one who I respect greatly. He loves his family. He certainly loves his church. He spends, uh, he's very pastoral, very um, involved in the lives of the people there. He loves the Lord, and he is... Um, he loves his enemies, he's patient with them, and um, those who um, resist and oppose him, he's uh, is very charitable and sets an example for others to follow. And he's also a man of conviction, those of you who know him know this to be true, and um, it's just, uh, it's going to be a real treat this morning, it always is a treat to hear from him, and I'm looking forward to his message and his challenge, and so Sean, I welcome you to come at this time, and um uh, don't hold anything back. Exhort us, admonish us, whatever we need to hear. So let's uh, let's welcome Sean again this year to the pulpit. Well, that is very humbling, and my prayer will be that I can be half the uh, the person Wendell just described me as. <laughs> um, how do I advance these slides? Is there a... Okay. I'm low tech, you know that about me. It's up here. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Ready for Left? Yeah, sure. There we go. There we go. All right. Why are you here? <laughs> I just wanted to, that's just for your entertainment. That's not, that's not the message this morning. <laughs> now, it is great to be back. It's, it's always wonderful. Um, it's, it's amazing to me how some things just never change. It's like I know if I come back in 30 years, Dave Pilditch is going to be right over there uh, tickling the ivories. And Dave is timeless. He doesn't change. And, um, yeah, it's been 15 years. This is Time flies, it really does, um, but it's so great to, to see all of you, and uh, Doug and Barb, you guys, boy, it's um, just good to be back. I love you guys. I love this church. I look forward to this every year. Um, well, news from Aletheia. Uh, Aletheia is not adding on a big 20,000 square foot multi-purpose building, and we're not opening a seminary in Singapore or an orphanage in South America, and we are not opening a second campus in Salina. So that's the, the update on uh, Aletheia. Um, we did just baptize a, a young man named Joe, and um, Joe came to Christ and uh, through someone in our church and uh, we did. Um, we just got a report from another young man named Nathan. Nathan's had health problems in his family. Uh, just got married, had a little baby, premature, and um, remarked that God is at work in him through this, and he's seeing God's faithfulness, and he's being drawn closer to the Lord, closer to his church family. Um, those are the kinds of reports I could give you at Alathea. I'll take those. Um, not that those other things are bad, but we're just kind of plugging along over there in Ohio, trying to be faithful to God together, 
uh, trying to walk together in love and be a witness to our community, trying to help each other be obedient disciples of Jesus. So that's, that's what we're up to. As for our family, uh, Kay and I just celebrated 24 years of marriage together this summer. And um, I can say this, um, our love for each other is deeper and stronger. And we're pursuing Christ together. And, and marriage is wonderful. It just keeps getting better. I'm thankful to God for that. Uh, the kids are doing well. Um, so we have, um, we have our first grandchild coming in March. And so, yeah, some of you, maybe some of you didn't even know that, uh, our oldest daughter, Faith, got married about a little more than a year ago. And so we're going to be grandparents. Well, we are grandparents, but we'll get to meet the grandbaby. Uh, that'll be exciting. Uh, we are excited. Pray for Faith and Jonathan, if you will, and their, their little baby. Uh, Molly just graduated in May. And uh, she is now doing a gap year with Created Equal in, down in uh, Columbus, working alongside Seth and Ian um, and um, Titus, our oldest, who seems to have found his niche, uh, her older brother Titus. And then Ethan, um, is, uh, Ethan just started a, um, a company. He finished an apprenticeship, and he started an excavating business. Um, Abe is in his junior year of college, if you can believe that. He's studying to be a veterinarian, following in Grandpa's footsteps. Uh, Isaiah is a freshman in high school. He's looking forward to being a light for Jesus on his wrestling team this year. And then Tabitha is in sixth grade, and Tabitha has um, started a, um, a zoo of cats at our house. Can you believe that? We, have, we now have a cat farm. Uh, did you ever think you'd hear that from me? We're doing well by God's grace. I was touched by the the songs, the music we sang this morning, the the, the truth of the lyrics. But uh, just uh, the the song "This Is My Father's World" really uh, really touched me because I know that probably like me, um, you know, you're you're looking at the world and thinking. This is, this is chaos. I probably don't have to give you examples, but it's, it's madness. We've, we're losing, it seems like, all common sense. And maybe, uh, for some of us, um, a sense of security uh, that we've taken for granted for a long time. And, but God is in control. God is still on the throne. This is his world he will make things right. We have to be patient. We have to have faith. We have to believe in him and believe in his word. Well, it was eight years ago, and um, oh, I'm, am I going the wrong direction now? So there we go. Got past that. It was eight years ago that I shared a message here with you on the importance of humility, and um, I don't expect any of you to remember that message uh, in fact, if you do remember it, you're probably weird, um, but uh, it seemed to me that enough time has passed maybe that we could revisit the subject, though I, I do plan to take a different approach today, and maybe you're thinking, well, why is he coming in here to, to tell us about humility and, and emphasize humility? Does he think we have a problem with this? Um, and the answer to that is no, not at all. 
Um, I think that humanity has a problem with pride. I think humans are susceptible to pride, and I think that uh, you and I belong to that group. And so I think that this is something that we need to keep coming back to. The truth is God has shown me just enough of my pride. I imagine just maybe the, the tip of the iceberg, um, just enough that this has become really almost a daily prayer uh, for me, that God would help me to get rid of any pride in my heart and to be humble before him and before others. And, um, and so I've given this a lot of thought um, over the past several years, how humility affects our relationship with God and our relationship with others uh, with, with emphasis on the, the body of Christ. And, um, and so it's, it's that that I want to talk to today, uh, talk with you about. Um, do we need humility? Do we really need it? Um, as we strive to be God's people together, how much do we need it? Where do we need humility? And what does that look like? And so that's where I want to go. And um, I appreciate Joe praying uh, earlier, but I'm going to pray again. I'm going to ask you to join me. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here with dear brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for the unity that we have in your son. We thank you, God, that you have not left us on our own. We thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. And we pray that we would be ready to receive it. I pray that I would be ready to receive it, Lord, that we would never be mere hearers of the word but doers, uh, that we would rely on you and that your spirit would change us as we have faith in you. And so help us even now, Lord, and do the work in us that you desire. Amen. A co-worker makes you look bad in front of the boss. You want to say something to him. You want to talk to him about it. But you know that you would just be wasting your breath. You know that he would be defensive, and so you keep it to yourself. There's a friendship that you've maintained for decades, but you're not sure why. Your friend always has to have her way, never admits to being wrong, has never apologized for anything. Your neighbor likes to talk, but he's not very keen on listening. He has all the answers. He won't even hear another point of view, much less give it serious consideration. Besides, you can't even get a full sentence in without him interrupting. We've all been there, right? With notable exceptions, it seems that pride is the way of the world. This is predictable. It's even understandable, I would say. We can't expect people who don't believe in Jesus to look to the supreme example of humility and decide that they want to imitate that humility, right? We can't expect people who don't believe the word of God to take seriously the, the multiple commands that we find in the word to be humble, to humble ourselves before God. I mean, if you think about it, the world often even rejects the, the very concept of objective truth. And so is humility better than pride? Maybe preferred, but not objectively better. Pride is the way of the world. We've witnessed that, right? What about us? 
God's people are called out of the world, right? Um, the very word that uh, we translate church in the New Testament, ecclesia, means called out one. So we are called out of certain things, called out of unbelief, called out of pride, called to Christ, but called out of the world, right? And this called out life of humble, loving, togetherness, I believe is intended by God to display to the world what relationships look like in the restored newness of God's community. It's supposed to be a witness. In fact, you could look at several things Jesus said that that seem to indicate that. Uh, We could go to John 13. We could go to John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Tragically, however, relationships in the ecclesia of God often resemble relationships in the world, right? The world from which we are called out. We find in ourselves residual pride, selfishness, apathy. And though we're called to be a new community of love and humility, we can be stubborn and slow to embrace the fullness of our new life together, speaking from experience. It was about 13 years ago that our little church in Ohio set out with a goal to conform to the biblical description of a New Testament church. And uh, 13 years ago, and we have a long way to go. (laughs) I have a long way to go. But shortly into that journey, uh, we discovered that this whole endeavor would be futile, uh, indeed impossible, if we are not obeying the command to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. Humility is an indispensable quality of a New Testament community, and the reason is simple. Not only do we have direct and multiple explicit commands in the scriptures, uh, such as do not be proud, Romans 12, be completely humble and gentle, Ephesians 4, In humility, value others above yourself, Philippians 2. Titus 3, show humility toward all men. James 4, humble yourselves before the Lord. Many, many more. Not not only do we have all of these direct and, and very explicit commands to be humble, but we find that most of the other commands that God gives us for living together in community, relating to one another in love, if, if we're not striving to be a people that is humble together, we find that those are impossible. Consider the following life together, you could say, life together commands. And I want you to try to imagine a people who are full of pride obeying some of these commands. Honor one another above yourselves. How do you do that? That's not an explicit command to be humble, but how do you do that if you're not humble? Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Agree with one another so there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Can a a people that are full of pride, can, can they do that? Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Can you do that apart from humility? Is that even possible? Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. How far will that get if we're full of pride? What happens when you admonish a person who is proud? Confess your sins to each other. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. On and on we could go. I could give you 30 more that commands that aren't commands like direct, explicit commands to be humble, but commands that if we're not humble, we can't keep them. In light of our conviction that humility is absolutely essential to the mandate that Christ has given us to live as a new people together, I want to say something that may surprise you. Have you ever seen signs that say something like, um, uh, you know, whatever, First Baptist Church, everyone welcome? Sometimes there's a colorful, uh, like, rainbow flag there, but sometimes not. Sometimes just a, everybody welcome. First of all, that's a lie, right? Um, <laughs> not everyone is welcome, let's be honest. And you can test it. You, you could walk in there on a Sunday morning and test that, um, in lots of entertaining ways. If you need ideas, come to me. Um, uh, why lie? Okay. As for Alethe, I'm going to admit, not everyone is welcome at our church. And that's not just my rule. Some people are not welcome. It has nothing to do with their, their age or their sex or their economic status, nothing to do with their skin color has nothing to do with their intelligence or even who they are attracted to. It has everything to do with their attitude. Who is not welcome at our church? The proud. And when I say the proud, I'm talking about people who are stubborn in their pride, people who are determined to remain full of pride even when it is made known to them. They are not welcome among us. Now, I don't put that on the church sign, okay? <laughs> Give me a couple of years. I'm getting grumpier and older, and I should be going the other way, right? More, more patient with people, but when, when I'm a little more like Wendell and less like myself, I'm just kidding. I am kidding. Actually, Wendell is very gracious. Wendell the merciful. Um, I was just thinking this morning, you know, you, I think I said this before, at Aletheia, if you want to be recognized for your birthday, your birthday has to fall on that Sunday. We don't do the through the week thing. So see how he is seven times more merciful than me. <laughs> but this is our conviction that humility is a must-have. It is essential. And so probably about a year ago, I approached the elders of Aletheia with a proposal, and that proposal was that each person who is applying for membership at our church must agree to walk with us in humility. We're not looking for perfection. We'd all be disqualified if that were the case, but we're looking for a certain kind of attitude that says, I desire to put down my pride as it becomes... As, as I become aware of it, I desire to walk in humility with this community. And they agreed, and we laid out what that looks like. Very 
specifically. And that's what I want to present to you this morning, because it could be that maybe God wants to get your attention on one of these areas, or maybe one or more. Um, Our document is called The Importance of Humility in Our Shared Life. Could have could have uh, titled that, Clothing Ourselves with Humility Toward One Another. But I want to look at 12 areas of practical humility. Uh, and, and this is prefaced. It reads, as one of God's called out people, I realize that to be called away from pride is to be called into humility. In seeking membership with the Lathia Christian Church, I make the following 12 commitments. Here's the first one. I recognize my need to grow in the knowledge of the word and that some of my present beliefs may be incorrect. I am committed to the humility of hearing from others in the Aletheia family. Tell me what you know. Tell me where you think I may be wrong. I'm going to shut up and I'm going to listen. We all need to be able to say that. You don't really think you have everything right, do you? You think you have everything right? In general, we are commanded in James to be quick to listen, slow to speak. We had a visitor probably about a year ago that was invited to our church by members, dear people, dear couple. And um, he was probably in his 60s, came to men's prayer before uh, we gathered and then uh, we took him out to eat afterwards, trying to get to know this guy. And I noticed I was asking him these questions about himself and his family, and he didn't have any time for small talk. He had an agenda. He was on a mission to tell me how much he knew. He was on a mission to show me how much theology he had conquered and every place where my theology was messed up. And that was the, 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 the lunch. Um, it was very obvious at times that he was trying to embarrass me in front of this couple from, from our church. And, um, and so he had all of the symptoms. Uh, he was afflicted with theological know-it-allism. And uh, I try to coin a new word every time I'm here. Um, needless to say, our, our, our friends were, were very embarrassed. They apologized later, and they realized that he wouldn't be a good fit at Aletheia. And it's not just because he and I kind of clashed. That wasn't it. He, frankly, he wouldn't be a good fit anywhere. I said earlier, not everyone is welcome at Aletheia. This is, this is an example. I can say that I care for that man. Every now and then I'll pray for him. Um, but I, I care for that man. But I don't want him in our church. Maybe later. Not, not in the state that he's in. Theological know-it-allism, that, that is mutually exclusive with humility. We're, we're commanded to, to be humble, and someone like that's really unfit for community. The second one, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that God desires to grow me in holiness. I also realize that one of his primary methods for growing me is through the help of brothers and sisters. I'm committed to the humility of inviting and receiving correction from those who observe sin in my life, and I'm eager to allow God's people to help me in this way. And by the way, it's not just if someone happens to come to you. Are you willing to go to a brother or a sister, or are you hiding in plain sight, showing up, 
nodding, saying the right things, singing along, but closed off to those whom God would use to sanctify you. That's pride. It's fear, but it's also pride. It's a failure to clothe yourself with humility. What is your attitude if you are confronted by a brother or sister? By the way, you know what Proverbs calls such a person? A friend. Assuming that they they come in good faith, come with the right motives. You recognize that person as a friend. Sometimes pride will cause us to turn a friend into an enemy. I kind of have that going on right now with someone. We can't live that way together. We're called to be clothed in humility toward one another. Number three, it's hypocritical to expect others to humbly receive correction that is offered in pride. For any situation in which I may need to give challenge to a brother or sister, I'm committed to the humility of proceeding with gentleness and love while maintaining awareness of my own shortcomings. There's nothing humble about fault-finding. There's nothing humble about nitpicking. And I think it's, it's a caution. If we ever find that we enjoy um, you know, helping other people see their sin, if that kind of uh, scratches an itch, so to speak, if I'm getting something from it, um, I think that's a caution. Galatians 6 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, I'm not real sure. That may be a, a warning against falling into the very same sin that you're, you're addressing or confronting. But I wonder if it could also be a warning that there's something inherently dangerous whenever we involve ourselves in the process of, of helping someone in their sin and and restoring someone and bringing them to repentance. Number four, I realize the refusal to admit wrongdoing and seek forgiveness is the work of pride. It does not please our Lord and it it hinders genuine community. I am committed to the humility of ongoing acknowledgement of my own sin. I've found... That even unbelievers, when I've shared the gospel with people, um, it's almost always the case that they will admit that, that there's something wrong with them, okay? They may not use the word sin, but even unbelievers tend to admit that they're not perfect. The problem so often isn't that we won't admit our general condition of, of sinfulness, right? The problem is that we are reluctant in the particulars, Weird, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I'm not perfect. I know I'm a sinner, um, just like everybody else. What do you mean I was impatient with you? I was not impatient. What do you mean? I, oh, yeah, I lost my temper. You lost your temper, right? It's, so it's, it's the particulars. It's the specifics that we get testy about. We're all ready to admit that we're, that we're sinners. I think we need to be humble in the specifics are specific acts of wrongdoing that result from that general condition. Do you have trouble saying, I sinned against you? It was wrong. I sinned in this specific way. I'm asking you to forgive me. You have trouble with that? 
We need to be a community of confessors in that regard. I think that's what it means to clothe ourselves in humility. Number five, I understand that the extent to which I've been forgiven in Christ far, far surpasses any sins that have been committed against me. I reject the pride that says I have a right to refuse or to for, refuse to forgive or to hold on to bitterness. I'm committed to the humility of forgiving all sins and offenses. Easier said than done, right? But remember, forgiveness is not primarily a feeling. I know you know that. But in extending forgiveness, you are not pledging to, to feel a certain way towards someone. You're pledging to release a debt. Not to feel a certain way, but to act a certain way. And as far as the emotions go, I think even the person who's very humble, the person who's clothed with humility, I think even that person wrestles with the feelings. Don't you agree? And, and so that's, I, I think, when you pray, Lord, I am releasing this debt. I'm releasing this debt, but, but help me with my anger. Help me with when, when feelings of resentment come, Lord, I, I'm asking you to replace that uh, with feelings of goodwill, uh, even feelings of gratitude toward my brother. We're not a humble people if we're not a forgiving people. The, the refusal to forgive is really just an overt, blatant act of pride. And in some ways, I think it's even worse for a believer than for an unbeliever. I'll explain what I mean by that. The unbeliever who holds on to bitterness, the unbeliever who refuses to forgive is really unconscious of God. They're, they're, not, they're ignorant of God. They don't see this as in any way elevating themselves over God. They're just ignorant, right? And I'm, I'm not saying there's no pride in that. I think there, there is. But by contrast, when, when a believer, when someone who has been forgiven of this mountain of debt, we think about the parable, right, of the unmerciful servant, when the believer refuses to forgive, what is he or she saying except that, look, you can go to God. God will forgive you for anything, right? But you sin against me, that's the unpardonable sin. Who do you, who do you think you are? Who do you think you, to sin against me? Yeah, go sin against God. Get your forgiveness there, but don't you dare sin against me. It's really, it's in some ways elevating ourselves over God. In some ways, it's, I think, worse for a believer to refuse to forgive than for an unbeliever. And this is practically where I think all of us, we, we nod, we say, yes, I got to forgive everybody. God forgave me. But are we doing it? God searches our hearts. God knows. Is there anything in me that is, is holding on to a debt? That, that, is, that it keeps someone in debt to me because of something that they have done, whether it was a week ago, a year, or 10 years ago, is that still in me? Does it affect how I treat them? Do I reprocess it? Do I talk to others about it? It's easy to nod and say, yes, I, we all need to be humble. We all need to forgive as God forgave us. Are we doing it? Clothing ourselves with humility means that there is no room for unforgiveness among the forgiven. Number six, there are situations in our life together 
in which gentle correction may be needed for patterns of speech or behavior that aren't necessarily sinful but are problematic. For example, someone may have a pattern of being unintentionally inconsiderate. I am committed to the humility of hearing from a brother or sister if he or she perceives, perceives a need to address me on this level. And a key word here is patterns, right? Not incidents, but patterns, habits. We're talking about habits. Christians should want to know if they are annoying people, okay? I should want to know about my sin, show me my sin, but I should also not just be open, but want to know, am I annoying you? Do I listen to my music too loud? Do I seem impatient like I never have time for anyone else? Come to me. I want to know that. Okay? One of the things I'm going to bring to Pastor Phil's attention someday, I haven't done this yet. If he has a retractable pen, he will sit there during an elder meeting and click that thing for the whole meeting. And I have wrestled for years. Should I talk to him about that? Um, He's going to listen to this sermon. Um, Now, I know Phil. Phil will be like, Take the thing from me. I don't know I'm doing it, okay? Um, and the reason I don't bring it up is because I don't want to be nitpicky. Um, and I, but I know he would want to know, so I, I probably should bring it up. But if we're going to be a, a humble community t- together, if that's what you want, then we just have to be willing to, anything you have for me, any feedback you have for me, bring it to me. I'll try to take that humbly. Occasionally, I think there are those who send signals that they're not open to that. Uh, They're not open to any kind of criticism, no matter how carefully and humbly it is suggested. And um, and that can create tension, I think. It can create resentment over the years. Someone like that can grow even more inconsiderate, causing more resentment. We need to be not only, I think, approachable, but we need to be perceived as approachable. I want to come at this from another angle. Number seven, the only right motive for correcting or confronting someone is love. Judgmentalism is the result of pride. It manifests as nitpicking. While a serious sin will likely need immediate attention the humility that is needed for genuine community is one that is patient and ready to overlook minor offenses. I'm committed to this humility. And so if you're thinking about talking to someone, you're thinking about bringing something to them, you're not sure, is this a habit? Is this a pattern? Would this benefit the whole body if I took this to this person? Boy, I'm not really sure. Um, I've said this to my kids for many, many years. You can always choose to say something to someone but you can never choose to unsay something that you've said. So wait. Think about it. Pray about it. At least delay the conversation. The other thing to think about is this. If you are known as someone who is nitpicky, you always have a criticism, you always have a critique, you always have a rebuke or a mild correction, then... It's likely that when something really important, something that really needs addressed comes up, that you will have already spent your capital. Allow me just one tangent this morning, if, if I may. Uh, right now I'm making a point about being effective, not just being humble, but being effective. And I think this is worth saying 
there's a, a guy in our church named Tim. And um, Tim is one of the most positive people I know, one of the most humble people I know. He's really just a delightful individual in every respect. And um, I can't say that I've ever heard Tim criticize anyone in our church, or if he has, it's been a really long time. He's been with us for a long time. Now, if Tim did come to me and said, listen, Sean, could, could we step aside? I want to talk to you about something. And he said, Sean, I, I've got a concern. I've seen something in your life that, that troubles me. Do you think he has my attention? Yeah, more so than the person who's always got a gripe. Save it, build it up. So it's not only prideful to be a nitpicker, but we also see that you've got this principle of diminishing returns at play. We have commands in Colossians 3, Colossians 15, or I'm sorry, Romans 15, uh, to bear with one another. Obviously, that's a command to, to be patient, but I think it's also a command not to be nitpicky. A commitment to humility makes that possible. Number eight. Are you ever, uh, do you ever um, just get weary of like surface conversations? Like you go to a party and everything's about the weather or, or everything's about sports, safe, safe stuff. It's a shame when Christians must tiptoe around each other, keeping our conversations as non-threatening as possible and constantly staying on the surface for fear of offending one another so that we can grow into a community of real depth. I am committed to the humility of not being easily offended. And what do I do when I do feel offended? Maybe I ask why. Why do I feel offended? Is it because I think that someone has said something about me that, that's not true? Well, here's a good place to apply the golden rule, right? Uh, have I ever said anything about someone who's not, you know, something, something that's not true about someone? What, what do I want from them if I am guilty of that? Don't I want to be forgiven? Do I want them to overreact? Hopefully I won't get offended and stay offended. Or maybe I'm offended because they said something that's true. Or am I offended because I assume that that other person is being malicious in their remarks? That's why we have number nine. Pride is quick to assume evil motives in others. When I lack the facts needed to make an informed judgment, I'm committed to the humility of assuming the best in my brother or sister. Years ago, uh, we were having a, a, like a small group Bible study in our church, and when it was over, our family left. And um, as soon as I got in my car, I started thinking about a comment that I had made that night in front of the group. And because of one man's particular circumstances, I got to thinking, boy, he could take that the wrong way. That could be something that would be really offensive to him. And the more I thought about it, I thought, not only could he take that the wrong way, how could he not take that the wrong way? 
That, that, was, that, that just seemed to speak right to his situation so directly. He's probably thinking that that was like some kind of a, just a, a dig at him, which I never do. <laughs> I'd never do that. Um, but it just bugged me. And, you know, I had the whole family in the car, and it was torturing me that I couldn't call him right then. If you know my personality, it's like, I just got to fix stuff right now, you know. And so that the 10-minute the drive home seemed like an hour. And uh, when I got home, I immediately, you know, isolated myself and I called him up and I said, hey, um, you know, I said something tonight that I, you know, I, I'm sure you, you probably thought that I, I meant that toward you or that, you know, I, I was directing that toward you. And he said, Sean, he said, I want you to know, I, I, that didn't even cross my mind. I've learned that you don't take something that someone says and use one statement to overrule everything that you know about that person. I was so blessed by that. That's humility because... You know, so many people, everything's about them. So if there's a comment that's made, that's probably about me. And, and he's just like, no, it's not about me. And I know this about you. If we walk humbly together, we assume the best. Don't assume the worst. What would that gain you? What would that gain your community? Number 10, true humility does not attempt to showcase one's gifts, nor does it seek recognition for acts of service. The humble person is content not to be noticed and doesn't resort to self-pity when forgotten or overlooked. I'm committed to deflecting attention away from myself and on to Christ and others, sharing credit whenever possible. Do we crave recognition from men? Have we forgotten the Sermon on the Mount? All the lessons that Jesus gave us? To quote our Lord, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We see this in Paul, right? He said, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. He who plants and he who waters is nothing but only God who makes things grow. How about you? Are you happy to share credit? Are you happy to be at the end of the line? If the credits are rolling and you're looking for your name and someone forgot it's not there, you okay with that? Do you have faith that you're not being overlooked by God and that he will reward you? Are you actually eager to get the spotlight off of yourself as quickly as possible and on to Christ? I think when we all do this, we're moving in the right direction together. We're moving toward that, that community that is clothed in humility together, the community that God wants us to be. Number 11, though it is natural to want and demand our own way, this generally stems from pride Humility reminds us to submit to others. I'm committed to the humility of yielding. 
Paul writes in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are you someone that, and I'm not talking about when, when there's, you know, it, it, it's an issue of right or wrong, and you, and you believe that, that we're about to make a decision that is wrong or morally wrong, but when it's just something that's, it doesn't matter that much, are you the person that's like, hey, I'm okay, whatever you, whatever you want. I'll jump in. I'll embrace it as wholeheartedly as if it was my own idea. I'm ready to submit to others. Is that you? If you aren't sure, you know what you could do? You could ask a trusted brother or sister. Just say, do you perceive me as someone who is ready to yield? Do you, do you see me that way? Finally, if a brother or sister should ever sense that I need reminded of one or more of these commitments, I desire this accountability and extend the unconditional invitation to my Alethea brothers and sisters to offer words of challenge. That's just covering our bases. <laughs> Not like we want to take this and like throw it back in people's faces, but this is what we're talking about. Walking together in humility. Now, maybe there's something on this list that we are missing. You might be sitting there saying, boy, I was really expecting them to, you know, I would have thought they would have, you know, covered this aspect of, of humility. Um, I would not be surprised if we're missing something, okay? So if, if you have something, honestly, I'd, I'd love to hear it because, like, we'll amend the document. We know it's not perfect. Um, but it, I, I think it's a start. I think it's a start. Let me return to this question. Why, why, why come here and, and preach a sermon on humility? First Peter 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I think it's one thing to, to hear that and to say, I like that. Yeah, I, I like that. I think it's another thing to, to think through carefully what that really means, what that really looks like, and individually, personally, embrace it. Um, embrace what that means practically as we relate to one another. I need these reminders. I really do. Like, when I, when I look at this list, it's like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm getting like a D minus here. <laughs> um, I need these reminders. Hopefully... This was helpful to you, and um, my challenge to you is this. Uh, maybe pray and say, God, is, is there something here that, that or maybe, maybe as we're going through the list, you're like, man, that number four or number seven, that, I think I need to grow there. And, and my challenge to you is if, if that was your sense, then don't do nothing. Don't do nothing. Life is short. And, and one of the most precious things you have is your relationship with one another. Make the most of that. Jesus made it very clear in his teachings that how believers relate to each other is a powerful witness to the world. The gospel is very humbling. And a humble people testify to the truth of the gospel, not just with their lips, but with their lives. And so... Don't do nothing. Ask the God, God to, to work in you. Ask God to help you uh, to set an example of love and humility to one another.
I love this church. I pray for this church. I pray for your leaders. I really, again, appreciate the opportunity to, to be here with you. It's something that every year is a great blessing to me and my family. And so thank you again for the opportunity. Dave. Yes, thank you, Sean. Those, those are good words. Um, there's always something about this topic that is a little ironic that, I mean, everybody who becomes a Christian at some point has humbled themselves and understands the basic idea of humility, that we're sinful and that we need to be saved. I think, as Sean hit on many times, the difficulty becomes um, submitting ourselves and humbling ourselves with other fallen people. It's one thing to ask God for forgiveness, but to, oh, well, most of the time in the scripture, we are um, commanded to ask for forgiveness, but most of the time, it is confessing our sins one to another, because I assume the understanding is there that he knows that is difficult for us to do. Confessing sins to other human beings uh, calls for a certain amount of uh, vulnerability, which is just one aspect of humility that is uh, terribly uncomfortable, some for more, <laughs> more of us than others. But, um, and and a, a sermon like this, where we're issued a challenge, is... If you're the whole time resonating with all that and agreeing and amen, you're probably the, not the main one that needs to hear this. I mean, we all need to hear it. We all need a tune-up. We need to be redirected in our thoughts and corrected. But if that was irritating to you, you really need to listen to it again. If um, I have specific people in mind, too, actually. But, but I know I need to hear that all the time um, if, if it's like... Yeah, I don't know. Um, if, if it, again, didn't resonate with you, you found it um, irritating or whatever the case may be, it, it is hard to overstate uh, the importance of that, and it is hard to communicate uh, humility to somebody who, who doesn't, isn't quite circumspect to understand it. And I love the, uh, so many good points there, but one I'd, I'd touch on quick is it motivates me to be more humble and circumspect so that I can point out my own flaws before somebody points them out to me because that's twice as bad. And I'm like, I want to avoid that as much as I can. So selfishly, be humble, if that makes any sense. <laughs> kind of, I mean. Um, so I was thinking of a passage in Philippians 2 that would be a good closing. So if you'd like to stand... Um, then you'll be dismissed, but not too quickly. From Philippians 2, uh, verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So let's do that. You're uh, dismissed to serve each other. <laughs>